0: Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry Podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. Later you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like to address, let us know. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. It's not unusual for someone to say, God is actually that God's soliciting me to do evil. But it's common for us to say, well, God's put me in this situation, therefore, he is ultimately responsible for what I do. Men don't go so far as to see that God's the direct tempter, but we often want to make him the indirect recipient of our blame. So, Appo here, by permitting the situation, he's saying the possibility just doesn't exist. Let no one say that God is even remotely responsible. You know, in the sense that we might think, well, this isn't blaming Satan. This isn't blaming demons. This isn't blaming the world. This isn't blaming anything else that takes place. But here he's saying you cannot blame God. You cannot say that God's done that. Proverbs 13.3 says, The foolishness of man perverts his way and his heart frets against the Lord. The Greek philosopher Philo said, When the mind has sinned and removed itself far from virtue, it lays the blame on divine causes. He's right. They want to say, well, it was God that did this. and escaping responsibility for sin is... A favorite human pastime. It's something that, wow, you know what, it's somebody else's fault. And some people have even gone as far to say that the blame in temptation is that God wanted to bring about some good, so He allowed me to do evil. I knew a man that said he had killed multiple people, and he said, well, God really wanted me to do that because He wanted me to come to prison where I would hear the gospel and get saved and, and then be able to do... Wait a minute, God did not ever, we can never think that God was the author of sin to make us do that so that we would come to a point where we'd be saved. No, it's the power of God through the Word of God. It's the power of God through His Word that brings us to that saving power. But it's interesting because some would also say from Matthew 6, 13, again from the Sermon on the Mount, and James goes back to this. Think about it. In the model prayer the Lord tells us lead us not into temptation, lead me not into temptation. The prayer recognizes the child of God desire that we want to avoid the dangers of sin altogether. When trials come they might turn into the temptation to sin and our prayer ought to be that we would have a right response to Satan, to Satan's demons that are bringing on that attack. Not that God would lead us into temptation. See God doesn't tempt any man. But it's implied that some might think of it that God leads us to be tempted. He leads us into that and really The point of the prayer is, do not allow us to be afflicted. Do not allow us to be tried. Deliver us from evil. And some will say, and the idea of the original Greek is that, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us because Satan is the God of this world. Deliver us, take us out from that. Deliver us from his power, his snares, his arts, his temptations. So he is the great parent of evil. And to be delivered from his evils and his trials that beset us. That ought to be our prayer. Not that God leads us into those temptations. And one writer that I read this week said that we have to plead with God to lead us not into temptation. Because if we don't, he's going to lead us into temptation. That's what James is saying. No, no, no. He had no place for that kind of fatalism. It's kind of like the poor man that blames his poverty, that because he's poor, he's become a thief. He steals and he thinks himself justified in stealing because he was poor, because of his circumstances. Or like the drunk who goes out and wrecks his car and he kills somebody. And in the process, he begins to blame my marriage. I have an unhappy union or I've been drinking because my business is driving me to drink. The pressures you don't understand. And he tries to excuse himself from any real guilt. Men blame God for inner passions. Man blame God for creating their circumstances. And so that's why we have to be very, very cautious. In the light that led astray is really a light from heaven was something that Burns said also. Not true. It is not the light of heaven that leads us astray. So James says this is intolerable. God is not responsible for temptation. You cannot say he is not responsible for temptation. He's not responsible for the results of sin. Is exactly what James is telling us God is not responsible now to support this from verse 13 James gives us five proofs they're very practical proofs in these proofs we see that although God is not responsible for temptation and therefore sin number one is because of the nature of evil let no one say when he is tempted I am tempted by God We cannot say that God here is an indirect cause that literally in the Greek it says God is inexperienced with evil neither tempts he any man. That's the idea. God is inexperienced with evil. He does not know. Now consider, you know the pagans and the pagan gods were just kind of like man. In mythology these pagan gods they were tempted to evil. They could do evil things. And they would sometimes try to get men to do evil things, at least in mythology. And so you'll find all kinds of deities, all kinds of gods of paganism that are liable to temptation to evil themselves. And the reason is they have been made by the minds of evil men. (laughs) They've been created by fallen man. And so after all, Their gods were made just like themselves in a fallen state. Or else these have come from the minds of fallen demons and that has spun out of their fallenness. And so they've manifested the same corruption, the same wickedness from which they have come. So that's the idea that's been promoted in our world. Their character is so corrupt because their creators are corrupt. What's the idea that no stream can rise higher than its source? But God, it says, cannot be tempted with evil. So the word is used only here in the New Testament. And it means he is not experienced with evil. That's what God is. Think about the character of God. He has no experience of evil. No capacity for evil. There's no vulnerability to evil the word evil here is neuter and plural. So it's kind of interesting without an article that just general evil in any kind. So that's what he's saying. God in general there's no kind of evil that God has experienced with. And so the the whole realm of evil and at its base because God is a holy God. His nature is holy. His nature is, is that which is so away from any kind of evil, I can't even get my words out, it can find no place in His holy character. The nature of evil is so apart from the holiness of God. How many times in the scripture have you seen, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. In Leviticus, the Lord is holy, the Lord is holy. Over and over it repeats, the Lord is holy. Even in the New Testament, 1 Peter 1 and 16, the Lord is holiness. Is holy holiness cannot be penetrated by sin. So that's who the character of God is. The very nature of evil then sets us apart from God. He cannot be solicited by an evil intent. See, that's that's the whole thought, that's the whole purpose. God cannot be even tempted in that sense. But in Revelation chapter 12. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, isn't he? In that sense, Satan goes to God and he is trying to get God to violate his covenant with his people because of their many sins. He is the accuser of the brethren. Look at how sinful these people are. How can you be loving toward them? In Romans 8, there is an implication here. For Paul writes to the Romans that who can lay charge to any of the elects? Not getting it straight. Who can lay charge to God's elect? But no one can do it because Christ has justified us already before God. There is no one. So it seems like there is an unnamed person here who is wanting to condemn us, to lay some kind of a charge before God. But God has n- absolutely no vulnerability to being tempted. He is not vulnerable to any evil. The nature of evil is totally foreign from His nature. So therefore we ought to think of God as He is impregnable to the onslaught of evil. His holiness is eternally unmixed. As a matter of fact, in Habakkuk 1.13 it says, Thou art of purer eyes than to even behold evil and cannot look on iniquity. Too pure to behold evil. Too pure to look on iniquity. Our God is a holy God. Well, sometimes we have a wrong concept of the character and the nature of God and that's why we've got to see we cannot begin to blame God because God can't even begin to be touched by evil. He is not the source of evil. The nature of evil makes it impossible for God to ever have been tempted successfully or to tempt someone else successfully. For to tempt someone else would indicate that he had a delight in seeing someone else to do evil. But he knows no evil. He cannot delight in evil. And Matthew 4 talks about the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested, tempted by the devil. And someone might say, well, didn't God by the Spirit lead him out to temptation? No. The Lord led him out to be tested. And since he passed all of those trials, all of the tests, none of them ever became a real temptation or soliciting to evil. Because they never led Christ to sin. All through those tests, he was proven to be the Son of God. He was proven to be who he was, Jesus, the second Adam. He did what was right where the first Adam failed. The second Adam succeeded. And then the angels came and ministered to him. Why? Because he could not be touched and tempted by evil. And so we see here, this is kind of what James has been talking about. Sometimes our trials come, and if we're obedient to God, they do not become temptations into sin. So the very nature of God, James says, James tells us that the nature of evil and the nature of God cannot be the source of temptation And sin, it's so contradictory to God's nature. Second, maybe we'll get through two points. The nature of man. The nature of man, not only what evil is, but what man is. And we look at verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Each one is drawn away. The nature of man, when we are tempted, literally each one of us has that temptation and we're drawn away by our own lust and enticed. And notice the first word, but, but, each one. Here is the fact that it is essential. The temptation doesn't come from God, but every man, each one of us, no exceptions, all individuals, no outside agency. No one on the outside is drawing us. Everybody is tempted in that present tense. It's going through a repeated experience of temptation. When he's dragged and enticed by his own lust. Dragged away. Enticed. Those are two kind of interesting words. Both of them are participles. Dragged away and enticed. It's the idea that first comes from hunting. Sometimes when... We used to do some deer hunting. We would set up a place where we knew the deer would feed and we would put the food down there. And then we we would build blinds. We were bow hunting and so we would be in these blinds and then the deer would come down because they knew there was food. And so that's the idea of where luring them into a trap. A trap is baited, the animal is lured into that trap. And the verb itself, help, means to be drawn by an inward power. It means to be led or compelled or impelled, lured to a trap. And the second term is a fishing term. you ever done any fishing and you got a good lure? You got some good bait? Maybe we want to chum the water a little bit to entice the fish to come that way. So that's the idea of it. It's literally to catch fish with bait. To bait, hook, and catch. 2nd Peter 2:14 and 18 it's translated to lure or to beguile it means to catch that fish with bait the problem is that every person is tempted when the hook is baited or the trap is baited we're lured away we're compelled away we're dragged away by our own lust These terms, we see the one being tempted, lured, deceptively, then hooked and trapped by sin. Just think about that imagery there. Think about the reason that animals are baited or trapped or fish are baited and trapped. It's because it looks good, looks attractive, looks inviting. They want to see the bait. And instead of the anticipated treasure the the pleasure the food that they're going to gain it means the pain of capture and death and so it is with temptation it dangles out there it promises a tasty indulgence it promises to satisfy some morsel so, to promise greater pleasure the fun reward it lures the suckered victim into its trap in a very deadly way now what does that? Whose fault is that? What pulls us so strongly into that bait? Is it God? No. Is it Satan? No. Satan may bait the hook, the world baits the hook, the demons bait the hook, men bait the hook. There's all kinds of things out there that pull us to that hook, but what pulls us, says our own lust, very emphatically, his own lust. They emphasizes that it's taking our own particular bent, our own desires. And you know what? I believe that Satan does use our, and he studies us to see how we would be leaning this way or that way. You see, because he's wanting to know how can I bait the trap? What's going to be the good food? Because there might be something that repulses you, but attracts me. Or repulses me, but attracts you. I could talk about some gluttony, the sin of gluttony having just come after Thanksgiving. Now that would be a mean sermon just after Thanksgiving, huh? Because I ate a plate and I ate a second plate and then they brought the pie. I had to eat the pie even though I was so full. It was my circumstances. Something else made me do it. I'm enticed by my own lust because I wanted the pie. You see, but maybe food repulses you. Oh, maybe you didn't have any problem pushing away from the table, saying, Oh, that, that doesn't. But for me, that's a sin of gluttony and having a hard time buttoning the coat as a result. <laughs> part of it. You see, so that's the idea. We're going to pick up with this. I want to pick up because I want us to see how Satan is using different things and he looks at you and he gets to know you and his demons get to know you because he wants to attract you and bait the hook with something that you'll take the bait. God is never the tempter. God is never the one. We cannot say, I'm tempted, God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. I want to just close out with that thought. And then we're going to pick up, we can pick up and look at the very nature of that temptation, the very nature of evil. We see the nature of God. God is who He is. He is a wonderful, amazing, holy God that cannot be touched or tempted by wrong. But we are drawn away by our own lusts. We are drawn away on our own. We can't blame God. It's not Him. But our own sinfulness has separated us from God. And we need Him as Lord, as Savior. That's why Christ came. That's why Christ came. He passed the test. It was not a temptation to sin. He endured the trials. He went through it. that He showed Himself the Son of God, the only One who was perfect, Because you and I have fallen. You and I have that old sin nature. That old flesh that will draw us away. How do we act? How do we come back? How do we be restored to God? Only through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cruel cross. Only through Christ can we come. Not in works, lest any man should boast. It's not what we do, it's what Christ has done. So He offers today eternal life to you. He offers today the overcoming of sin. The overcoming when those trials come. It's our choice. How will you react? How are you going to react when that temptation, when the trial comes? Are we going to obey? Is that going to follow and lead us into sin? Because we've chosen to disobey God, to not believe His word? A holy God. A righteous God. A loving God. A God that is cannot be touched by evil is not putting you in a position that He wants to see you fall. He loves us. And that's why He gave His only blessed, beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world to be the perfect second Adam, to be that perfect man so that you and I can have eternal life. Are you living that abundant life? Child of God, I hope that today this has encouraged you just from the words of James that it's encouraged you. Let's not blame someone else. Let's take the blame where we have sinned and fallen and let's just trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's put our trust and our hope in Him. If we failed in the past, that's okay. Confess it. And let's get up and move on and do it to the glory of God. Because He is the one who is restored. He knows who we are. That we are but best. But he doesn't want us to continue falling down. He doesn't want us to continue in the same old pit and, and failures. Once you Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at scl.com. Of ministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.